1: Hi, I'm Danny Riley. And I'm Dan Riley, and together we run Mana
0: In this podcast, we have decided that we wanted to dive a little bit deeper into some of the things that mean more to us that we weren't able to share within the web series. We've got a little bit more time up our sleeves. We're going to have some killer guests in throughout the series, some amazing experts, and really talk about what's important to us on the journey to build our dream home. For Dan and I, building a home that was as sustainable as possible was our number one priority. So in each episode, we will also highlight these features as a standalone topic. We know that the most important part of a house is when it actually becomes your home. So in each episode of the pod, Dan and I will be giving you a sneak peek into these intimate spaces that made our house a home for us. Madam came about in 2016 after Dan and I were contestants on Australia's number one reality renovation show, The Block. We had two amazing attempts at that show and walked away with some healthy winnings, which we decided to invest into the property market.
1: I was almost going to change career because of that that 27, 28-year-old time of your life where you're not sure what you really want to do. And I think the block reignited something in me to really want to stay in that industry, in the construction industry. It also gave me the confidence to know that, hey, maybe I can be a builder and I wanted to build for myself and for us. And, you know, I think after that, that's how formerly Red Door Project, which is now MatterMade, formed. And we did a few projects on our own and then we started to take clients on and it's grown into what it is today.
0: And My background working in finance is far drier than Dan's and I think going on a show like The Block definitely opened my eyes to the construction industry and design industry as a whole and definitely ignited, not reignited, ignited a passion within me for that industry.
1: After the show, we were lucky enough to make some winnings and we bought our first home in the inner west of Melbourne. And we renovated this and did a big extension on this home and I think- So green. (laughs) We were very, very green, made a lot of mistakes. (laughs) Wow, (laughs) we Went way over
0: budget, doubled the time.
1: (laughs) But what it taught us was that we delivered a product that got a lot of recognition in the area and we had a lot of real estate agents. We had a lot of even architects, designers in the area said, wow, you guys did an amazing job here. You could really forge a career doing this. And that's what really made us want to start Red Door Project, which is now Manor Made.
0: After we finished our home in Seddon, we kind of went through a bit of a process of trying to find our next personal project. We had plenty of client work on at the time, but I guess nothing uh, satisfies the inner soul fire for challenging ourselves like your own personal project. And we were disappointed several times over at auctions in the
1: area and Well, we we're trying to buy back into the area of the inner west and we were at the height of the market. Yeah. And we kept getting outbidded at every every auction we went to. Yeah. And it almost drained us to the point where we didn't even want to buy anything again.
0: Then we took a little trip down to the Mornington Peninsula and I am from far north Queensland and I'd never been to that area before. So and for those not
1: in Melbourne, that's about an hour and a half south of Melbourne. The Mornington
0: it, Peninsula? Yes. Yep.
1: Just thought I'd let it out there to everyone not cool. everyone's from Melbourne. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that actually led us to the most beautiful part of the Mornington Peninsula, in my opinion, Blair Garry and Blair Garry back Beach or the,
1: the ocean side in particular. Which a fun fact is also the skinniest part of the Mornington Peninsula. It's the thinnest part. it's where the bay in the ocean, it's the thinnest. Not many people know that. Is it the thinnest? Thinnest area of the of the <laughs> peninsula. Of the peninsula. <laughs> and the place that we're sort of staying at over the weekend, it's on dirt roads, it's amongst all the tea trees. You just feel like you're so far away from civilization. And yeah. we, we kept going on these walks every morning and, and we stumbled across a street. We walked down there and there was this block of land that was just vegetated. There was so much vegetation it on it. It like a park. Looks like a park, and and amongst all the bush, you could see this little for sale sign, which looked like it'd been there for a while. To be honest, and we yeah. thought, oh,
0: we were looking at about seven hundred and fifteen or thereabouts square meters, which for us at that time was like we'd stumbled across ten billion football field size property because we were on a very small block in the inner west. I think we were sitting on around two hundred square meters at the time, so that felt like a substantial amount of land. You know, we just saw an opportunity of of having of a simpler life. What drew me to that area in particular, the beach was close. It was all a little bit of a step back in time. The shops closed a little bit earlier. You know, they weren't open every single day of the week. We're literally hundreds of metres from the back ocean and the cliffs and the Mornington Peninsula National Park is one of my most favourite places in the world. And the possibility of having our own slice of paradise Almost felt
1: too good to be true. Mm, It did. Well, we'd never been there in peak summer, so I had never been there. (laughs) Maybe that's why we thought it was so sleepy. Because it ain't sleepy in summer. I can tell you that it's
0: not. But that's also (laughs) the beauty of our location. Yes. You know, we are detached somewhat. We're on the back. We Mm. don't get completely overrun by tourists. It's it just creates this vibe. I Mm. think this more exciting vibe. And I think you know this home definitely evolved into a dream project for us, you know, whether it be for ourselves or for our client. So being able to share the process of building this home and as a bit of a guiding light maybe for some aspiring DIYers or even just people with a keen interest in design and construction and architecture out there, capturing that, sharing what we learnt, sharing all the bits and pieces that went into to creating this home. We have created a web series, mm. which is going to be very exciting and thought that, you know what, let's also create a bit of a podcast series that can focus on being an extension of each web episode and really hone in on the things that maybe meant more to us in each episode or that we felt like you would get more value out of, that there was a little bit more to talk
1: about. We also want to get a few of the, you know, the great people we worked with mm. in studio and go into depth in some of their skills that they do, yeah, and some of their services that provide. So
0: because this was a passion project for us, and it definitely became a passion project for our key mm. um, suppliers and, and contractors on the project as well. So yeah, a lot of people are very, very excited to see all of this finally come to fruition. So for those of you who may be caught up on episode one of the web series already, and if you haven't, I'll put the link in the. Show notes for you to go and watch. We introduced you to the site, we spoke about the area, we had started excavation basically and talked about building on sand, and we really touched on some of those key relationships with your design team. So, in this particular podcast episode, we are going to kind of drill down a little bit further into the excavation of our site and any site, for example, as well, the soil type that we're on and that you might find yourself on and what that might mean for the engineering and what you can actually build. And also talk a bit more about the slab pour at Gary as well and how and why that was so stressful for Dan in the lead up to that. I think also because of the time of year that we were pouring our slab.
1: Well, it's a builder's dream when you know that you're going to be building on sand. It just makes life so much easier in so many ways. And why is that? Well, sand doesn't react to water. So the main issue in Australia is our weather. And the clay soil that we have everywhere or in a lot of places, when we have a lot of rain, it soaks in that all of that water. And then when we go through the summer or, or the winter, the dry months, that clay cracks and it shrinks. And that's what causes all of the foundations to move so that was beautiful to us when we heard it was a Class M site, which is sand. Yep. This was my first build on sand, Class M site. What did I learn? Well, when you're doing um, an excavation. We had two site cuts because our site's on a five metre slope. So Which we actually didn't know when we first saw the site. We knew there was a slope, but we thought maybe two two to three metres. There
0: were so many trees. We so. didn't
1: realise it was five metres in elevation. So Which is actually a lot when you stand from the front of the block and look towards the back. Well, it actually was a lot when we did the site cut. So we did two site cuts. We did one at the top of the property and then one at the lower of the property. When we did the one at the top, we cut it all out, but then I had to retain probably about two metres of soil. So then I had to dig piers about three metres into the sand. And what kept happening was the sand kept caving in on itself. And this is something I hadn't experienced before. So I had to spend a bit of money and get what we call, it's like a cardboard formwork. So as you're drilling, you pull the cardboard formwork down so the sand can't cave in on itself. Yeah. That was probably one of the cons about building on sand, but everything else was just beautiful. It was easy to dig out. It was easy to move. A lot of places down the peninsula, they take it for free because it's good for golf courses and and also good for some sites that may need to be packed up again.
0: When you reflect on the fact that the sand caves in on itself, I mean, whoever goes to the beach and tries to build a sand castle with dry sand... It doesn't work. No one. No one does that. <laughs> it doesn't Not work. Not even children do that. <laughs> <laughs> the kids are down on the shoreline where the moist sand is, and they've got their moulds, mm. don't they, mm. with their buckets. Yes. So that the sand doesn't fall away and collapse everywhere. So that's basically yeah. what you just described.
1: Exactly what <laughs> in happened. In speak. So, yeah, I had to do this big retaining wall at the very back of the property, so I had yep. to get this extra formwork. That was only one of the um, cons throughout the whole process of excavating. It
0: was a costly con though it really was the retaining wall height which Mm. wasn't originally something that we had costed into the project yeah the scale of that retaining wall so it ended up costing a lot more than two thousand
1: dollars yeah i think i think the retaining wall was probably about a ten thousand dollar process in the end yeah <laughs> it, is, it had to go in. It is what it is. I know.
0: Dan just shrugged. Obviously, you can't see us. So when I talk about furnishing the house at a later date,
1: blame that the retaining wall. Ten
0: to fifteen thousand dollars of um, unestimated cost.
1: But this this can happen on most projects. Um, and if you're building on Class P or, or another class that has rock, when you're excavating, this can really blow out. Yeah. Because an excavator can't just scrape away rock. Yeah. You've got, to, you've got to really break that rock up and that could take days if not weeks and that can really blow out your budget, so...
0: Or... There can often be a process of re-engineering to utilise that existing rock, which is actually something that happened to us on a past build of our own.
1: Correct. This is a key thing that you have to know about your site anyhow to get a building permit. But it's having the right professionals to understand, okay, the class of the soil is a little bit different than what we thought. Mm -hmm. Can we re-engineer this structure to really save for the client, save money on their cost of the project. I mean, we were only hitting shells. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we had right. no rock
0: in our side <laughs> in Blairgowrie. So that was really insightful day, I think, for us when we did that first site cut, that big one right up the top. Then we came down lower. We did that second site cut, which was Huge or it felt huge, at least, and seeing that multi-level site and the changes in the colour of the sand and soil as well and realising, actually, do you know what? We're actually on a giant sand dune here. We are literally (laughs) on a sand
1: dune. When we did the lower cut, we decided not to do a retaining wall behind that. What we decided to do was what we call a batter, and that's where you scrape the earth on a 30-degree angle. That way, the earth's just not going to sort of erode away. The water's just going to run down it nicely, and you're saving costs... On not doing a retaining wall. So, a
0: question for you: What is a 30-degree angle? Is that a given or is that determined? during the design process by your architect slash building designer and your building surveyor.
1: Well, well, your engineer will always recommend or always state it's got to be a 30-degree batter. Okay. Yeah, it can't be steeper. It can be less, obviously.
0: And we'll maybe talk about hindsight later on in this podcast series, but we definitely did revisit that towards the end of our build when we were going through uh, the final inspection process.
1: Yeah, and... We ended up did doing a smaller retaining wall, but because it was below a certain height, we didn't have to do engineering for it. Yes. So that was a benefit around that. <laughs> so to put it into perspective, the house almost has two levels, the lower level, and then we call it the upper level. So the lower level, we decided to do a concrete slab. Mm-hmm. The benefits of doing a concrete slab is I don't have to do anything for it, really. The concrete is coming and do it for me. But yep. I mean, structurally- But we did. We did we all did. that formwork. I did do all of it for them to try and save cost. Yep. So we pretty much dug all of the um, beams and footings for him. We did all the steel work for him and they literally had to come in and just pour the slab, which you really need a professional to do that.
0: There were times Dan was laying on his belly in the sand, scooping handfuls of sand out in different areas of that formed up area in readiness for that slab pour. So that was a really particularly stressful time for Dan because we had our pour date. We had to meet that pour date because we had to meet the future schedule of our brickies, for example. So there were multiple knock-on effects if we did not pour on the scheduled pour date.
1: And it wasn't really conventional the way we started the project because we were waiting on the bank to approve our loan. And that's why we never had a proper start date. So I couldn't book in all the trades properly because I didn't have a proper start date. So this is why we're kind of struggling to get trades when we needed them. And then we're leading into Christmas, which was what we call in our industry the silly season because everything has to be done before Christmas. <laughs> so it's really hard to We get were
0: those a- clients.
1: We were those clients. It's really hard to nail down a tradie and get him to stay on your site when <laughs> they've got a million other things to do before yeah. Christmas. The dream was to always get the slab poured before Christmas. Yep. And we, we achieved that in a little bit more, which was really, really great.
0: So, we had a staged permit because we needed to do an additional retaining wall, ching-ching, up one of the sides of our property as part of a uh, protection works to ensure safety of the house and people living in the home beside us. so
1: we Well, the house wasn't even near the fence, so it was just for vegetation at the end.
0: Vegetation retention, yeah. a deck, all of that kind of stuff. We didn't want to undermine anything to do with their existing structure, basically. So it was a, a condition. We had to do it as part of our final planning permit. Our building surveyor agreed to stage the permit and allow us to uh, work through to base stage, which meant this excavation and slab port works. And just in the nick of... Of time, <laughs> that additional planning permit condition was satisfied. We got our full permit on the site, and we could actually eventually keep, then go straight into
1: keep rolling through. Yeah,
0: rolling straight through. Yeah,
1: so the ground floor, um, we did a, obviously, we just spoke about a concrete slab. Now, there's many finishes you can have on a concrete slab. Um, generally, you'll either just carpet it, tile it, or put floorboards over it. Yeah. But Danny decided she wanted to do what we call a burnished finish.
0: We both wanted to have a concrete as the finished floor.
1: Yeah. I, look, I'm, I love exposed, you know, sort of aggregate concrete. That's what I really... Polished concrete's probably the right word for that. So what, we, what you do when you have um, polished concrete, you have different layers of how much you want to polish down and you can expose how much aggregate you want. Aggregates the stone inside the actual, in the mix, in the yeah. concrete. You can choose the size of that stone, the colour of that stone. You can choose the colour of the concrete as well. So you've got all these options. That's my favourite look, but... For whatever reason, we decided to do the burnished finish, which is you have zero control, or you have control over the finish, but it's all done within the pour. So when the guys pour the concrete slab, they've got to use what we call a helicopter, which is a machine you've probably seen. It's got like three or four flaps, and it just rotates around like a helicopter. And they've got to keep doing this process multiple times throughout the curing process within that day of the concrete slab and it gets down to a nice sheen and that's what we call the burnish
0: the burn yeah, yeah exactly they are essentially burning the surface of the top of the concrete slab and we did decide to go for a burnish slab so we'll offer context at this point the home has an extremely minimal aesthetic there are Tactile finishes throughout, there are minimal finishes throughout, cohesive is with a capital C on this project and we didn't want to, I guess, compromise any of the finish by adding complexities to things like the flooring. So we went with a burnish slab, meant we were only going to have variations through the actual physical concrete and the burn on or the burnish on the concrete and we wouldn't be having any aggregate come through. So definitely, Dan's. It's not Dan's favourite concrete finish, and you do have to let go a little bit of uh, perfection because you do lose control ultimately over possible cracking in the slab, and it all comes down to the day of the pour and then the actual burnish process.
1: And probably a pain point for a lot of people out there who want polished concrete or burnished concrete, and they probably don't understand that there are cracks are going to form within the concrete slab, and. There's nothing we can do about it. We can try our hardest to stop that. How do we try and stop the cracking? Well, what we've got to do, we've got to keep watering the slab throughout the next five to seven days. you just got to keep flooding it. We're trying to slow down the curing process of the concrete because the quicker it cures, it's going to crack. It's going to cure too much, shrink and crack. So we're just trying to slow that process down. Unfortunately, we poured on a very warm, sunny day. Yeah. So we seem to have a few few more cracks than we would like. But I love the cracks. It's the character. It, it, it is what it is. Yeah. We don't mind it, so.
0: And if we'd have had flexibility in our schedule at that time, which we definitely do allow for this on our client projects because we want the best finish mm. we can possibly achieve, and if we can foresee that the day is not going to be the ideal day. We won't pour because we just won't risk it. So we poured on such a beautiful, sunny, warm day – an ideal peninsula day, mm. worst day for pouring concrete. But, geez, we were happy because the sun was out.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so then I, that's why I always like the um, polished concrete because if there is cracks, you can actually hide them. You can, you can fill it. So when the guys grind down the first few layers of the concrete slab, they'll utilise that dust and they'll put it in the, in the cracks with a certain... Uh, what do you call it? I don't know if it's epoxy or something that will go hard, a hardener. And then when they grind it down, you don't even notice it. So that's probably a benefit of the um, polished versus the burnished.
0: If we take this right back to when we were costing the build for ourselves and I guess mulling over these types of finishes. When we came to costing the actual slab component of the build, and this is something that you definitely do need to keep in mind because there are potentially multiple contractors that might need to have a hand in providing costs or costs that you need to allow. If you decide to do a burnish slab like we did, there isn't another trade potentially not another trade involved. So the costs can end there. If you do decide to have a polished slab or a grind and seal finish or Hmm. something beyond a burnish, you'll then need to have a separate contractor come in and complete that work. We originally intended on doing the finishing of that slab ourselves. So we wanted to do the final buff ourselves. We ran out of time, ran out of resources, decided to engage our regular
1: concrete grinder
0: Concrete grinder to come in and do buff that it. process for us. So they buffed it. Um, there were some sections where I think we wanted to work on a few of the cracks a little bit and mm. so they did a little bit of an extra buffing and then we had to also, uh, for compliance, uh, seal the
1: water closet laundry the water
0: closet and laundry as well. This episode is powered by BuildExact. Actually, our whole business is powered by BuildExact. Estimating is the cornerstone of our business. Get it wrong and we're always playing catch up. But with BuildExact, we nail our estimating quickly and accurately and have the confidence that we're making a profit on every project. So Dan, as we both agreed with this build, we had the opportunity to produce a home that had sustainability front and centre of our thinking. And that started with the overall site intention from the very, very beginning. So this is a theme or a little piece we're going to talk about in every episode throughout the podcast series. And for me, or from the get-go, was the fact that There is native vegetation and there are protected trees on the Mornington Peninsula. So we had to engage a specialist in the form of an arborist to assess our site, assess the build footprint, so where we were going to build, and get an understanding if any significant trees might be affected. The day that our site was cleared was one of the most traumatic days for me because I'm a bit of a greenie and I love trees. So we had a minimum requirement to retain A handful of trees that our arborist actually still deemed to be of poor health. Do you remember getting that report? And I'm like, well, he said that tree is in bad health. That tree is in bad health. That tree, because I had no one caring for them. Hmm. Let's be fair. So we went above and beyond that. Yes, we protected those trees, and we had to erect certain protection around those trees. But we protected probably at least two to three times more. Than that, um, because I physically couldn't bear to cut them down. (laughs) It was the most horrible day. had to leave site, had a bit of a teary. So for for us from the get-go, being sustainable around how we approached the build and the vegetation that we retained on site was definitely that first kind of big-ticket thing, do you think?
1: Yeah, and I think that's a lesson for a lot of people. Just because the arborists say you can clear this much site you don't have to. Try and keep as much as you can because in the long run, we actually saved money on landscaping. At the back of the property, we kept all these amazing mature trees which just look like they fit That They are there. as yeah. part of nature. Yeah. So to clear them out would have cost us so much more to try and fill those gaps there and hide the fence. Um, and also at the front of the property, we kept a lot more tea tree than we needed to. And We did. And right now, when you walk down the street, the house is hidden behind the tea tree it's not until you face on that you actually see the home. And I love that we kept those trees as they are. Unfortunately, one of them's dying right now, but...
0: It's dead. It's actually dead.
1: I'm not cutting it down because you just (laughs) said before you're a greenie, so we're not cutting it down.
0: We're not cutting it down. (laughs) No, it will become a safety concern. uh, Yeah, we will have to, But all those trees that were deemed as being unhealthy are actually thriving. Thriving, So they're mooners. They're mooner tea trees. That is the protected tree that we had to keep, and they are literally thriving. So that also lends itself to retaining the authenticity of the area. You know, Mm. we have an Indigenous plantings overlay on our site. Uh, Those playing at home means that we really need to have Indigenous plants planted on our site, ideally. So that's one step further than than native, really. Indigenous means Mm. native to that specific area, not just native to Australia in general. So we basically conducted our entire approach to the landscaping with that in mind and It definitely just sits within that land. Looks, our site is stunning and it's got all beautiful Indigenous plantings that you would expect to see in the National Park and we do every day.
1: So please, if you do decide to go down this amazing road and build a house and do all of this, if you can keep mature trees on site, I would always recommend to do that because it's a statement. It stands out. It's this looks better than planting something new. It's been there for a long time, much before we were here. So always try and keep mature trees where you can.
0: And I would even go as far as seeing how you can actually coordinate your build around mm. that or just design your home around the existing um, significant vegetation on site. In each episode of this podcast, we are also going to have a quick conversation about the things that make this house in terms of the four walls into the home that we have and what we walk in that front door every day and feel as being our home rather than just our place of residence, I guess you could say. So why we chose Blair Gary as our home, I think for me... Staying down in Blairgowrie the weekend that we did, being exposed to a new area of Victoria that took me back to one our travels when Dan and I first met in Europe. So there's a lot of European elements to the cliffs and the ocean and and, and that area. It took me back to my childhood and growing up closer to the water and just the actual sheer beauty of that region and my favourite place to walk, which is the Peninsula Coastal Walk out the back of Blairgowrie, so around Bridgewater Bay, is just one of honestly my most favourite places in the entire world. And I say it every time I go out there, every day I take a photo because there's something new to see, or there's a new way to look at it, or a new colour, or the sun hits it differently, or the waves are doing something different, or I see whales. It's just the most magical place for me.
1: Yeah, well for me, what I what I didn't realise is is how much I love the actual community of Blair Gowrie and Sorrento and that. We've built this some you know, great friendship group that Would have never existed if we moved down here and, you know, we go down to the Blair front for a nice breakfast there at Bonnie, or then even on a Friday, I go with some mates to the raffle at the Sorrento pub that happens every Friday night. But then now I'm getting to know the builders down there. I'm probably going to end up playing golf with them most, or better not say it Fridays, don't, don't, just tell Danny not that. (laughs) But it's the community that really welcome you, and I just can't wait to even join a local footy club there. It's an amazing place. Um... We had, we,
0: Do you think that you can play footy No,
1: not play, but just join and be be a person (laughs) A A person? Person down there (laughs) And yes, we had a great community um, in the inner west in Yarraville, but I didn't realise how much I'd love the community in Blair Gary and Sorrento, so that for me is really making it become a place I want to stay.
0: And I think as an adult, it's really hard to move to a new area and create a new friendship group and new relationships It really, really is. Mm. Um, It's hard to do that as a single person. It's still hard to do that uh, as a couple. So creating what we have down there is so, so bloomin' special. And I don't know if the pandemic had anything to do with that or whatever it might be, but we took a punt, we moved down there and we've literally never looked back.
1: Okay, well, let's wrap up this amazing first episode, Danny. Um, some key lessons, I guess, that we learned in this episode, well, for me, it was definitely working with sand. It's something I hadn't done before. And as I explained, when you got to excavate deep holes, you've got to somehow form that up. So that was a really key takeaway for me. Also, pouring a slab on a hot day you know, you can water as much as you want afterwards, but you're still going to get those cracks. So if you can be flexible with the builder or if your schedule is flexible enough, try and change it to a day where the sun's not as out as much and is not as hot as it could be.
0: I think also a big don't, which we actually already abide by in our business, but did not take on when we were our own client was the pre-Christmas deadline. We had a number of factors, including finance, including getting trades, including missing out on, on certain elements that needed to be done prior to the Christmas break. It was a huge milestone for us, and I feel like we'll talk about all of the milestones throughout this project. But- pre-Christmas schedule constraints is very challenging within our industry. So be forgiving if that does happen on your particular project, be forgiving of your builder, be understanding where you can and uh, yeah, just try and enjoy the ride.
1: And a little tip for when you're excavating, always try and use a local excavator because he'll know where he can take the excess soil to. And sometimes he might even get rid of it for free which is what we did with some of our soil. Yep. So that's always a key message there. Try and use local trades to where you're building.
0: I mean, how absolutely ludicrous is it to think that you have to pay money to get rid of perfectly
1: good fertile soil. Yeah. Ours went 5K down the road to another <laughs> property that needed a lot of backfill yep. and they got high-end backfill, I can tell you that.
0: <laughs> they did get high-end backfill. <laughs> and I can't even explain how much soil we have moved around on that site. Yeah, Similar to that, when we first actually cleared our site um, and removed a lot of the vegetation, we hired a local crew who immediately chipped it up and took it to an aged care home. Yeah, And they topped up fresh mulch from our site they topped up their gardens so you know there's always somewhere and some way that you can give back all the stuff that is actually waste from your site
1: and you're saving money in your pocket but you're also doing the right thing by being sustainable
0: So next episode of the pod, we're going to start to get into the base nuts and bolts of the site in the form of the brickwork, the blockwork, and of course, our subfloor secret, our Spantech subfloor system. Thanks again for joining us on All Manner of Things. We'll see you next time. Thanks to BuildExact for powering this episode and for keeping our business running efficiently. We need a complete toolkit for managing the business. We don't want multiple software solutions. And BuildExact centralizes your business systems to better manage your jobs from estimating to daily project management and scheduling. It's truly a lifesaver. Hi,
1: I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.